Welcome to The Sounds of Sand, a podcast inquiring into the beauty and mystery of existence beyond ultimate truths. Welcome back to The Sounds of Sand podcast. This is Michael Riley. Joining me today on the podcast is Vui Kabeka. She is a multidimensional storyteller, artist, and transformative healer. She talks about navigating her illness and surrendering to the profound calling that has led her to her purpose. Through a unique blend of words, images, sounds, and sacred inventions, Vui explores the divine feminine and confronts collective traumas, creating powerful installations that weave together photography, video, sound, poetry, and texts, all guided by the ethereal entity of elders, Diop Mau. Now, please welcome Vui Kabeka. Okay, I'm here with Vui on the Sounds of Sand podcast. Thanks for being here today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. So as a way to orient listeners uh, and to talk a bit about your lineage and ancestry and path, would you mind um, telling us a bit about your journey and how you came to the current work that you inhabit today? So I am in Azania, a country currently known as South Africa, and I was born and bred in Johannesburg in the city. So I'm a thoroughbred city girl. My formative years were in Soweto, the southwestern township. But I soon moved out of that space into greener pastures, as was what our, our, many of our parents felt was, you know, the truth is to migrate out of the township and to move to the suburbs. So we were one of those families. We were at the edge of the transition from apartheid and we you know were there as witnesses when Mandela was scheduled to be released and we were celebrating I was I remember I was still a, a, a young child a toddler at that time and the country at the time was full of hope you know we were moving from this the darkness this darkness that had um yeah that that had kept our ancestors under its boot for 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 generations and so we were kind of the hope we were the children that were were the ones who were going to bear the, the fruits of what our ancestors laid down you know moved to the suburbs um and yeah the the that was kind of the first my first time being aware of the world and the distortions within the world. So I moved from the township, from Soweto, and we lived in a community where we were family. You know, the mamas across the the, the, the road from you, next door neighbors were your elders. So an older person was your father or mother, and you were surrounded by siblings, and you belonged to more than just your family. You belonged to a community. And then we moved to the suburbs where there are now tall walls. There are a majority of people that don't look like I do. And 
that's kind of the first time I felt a sense of awareness of myself and an alien alienation of sorts. Because I'm now in a space that's not necessarily welcoming. You can't quite define these things as a child, but you can feel them. And that is when I first became aware of myself as a black person. Uh, I mean, we were aware of it because of the history of the country, but we were contained within a community where we didn't have to be othered. We didn't have to put a mask on. And then this is now the first time where I'm realizing that I need to assume masks in certain spaces to keep safe. Um, and <laughs> I'm mentioning that because I think that was the kind of what, what formed my compassion and my awareness of the world and my awareness of collective trauma, familial trauma, and individual trauma, which is the space in which I work in. So I then was raised in the suburbs and just, you know, growing up and, and we moved um, quite a bit. And this, these spaces asked for something different. So the more we moved, the more aware I was, aware I became of how much we had or how little we had. And so I'm starting to understand um, class systems and here's the racial system and then it's the class system. And now we're being exposed to television as young children and now starting to become aware of other things. Um, yeah, I'm a twin. So I was always with my twin growing up. We're quite different. And we also grew up with siblings. I have nine siblings in total. One has transitioned now. So I've always been aware, and, and these are half siblings, not all of them are my direct siblings. But community has also always been at the core of my 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 experience. So being aware of elders, even though even if your sibling is five years older than you, you were aware of them being having a certain level of command because they're older than us. Um, yeah, and so I was shaped by a big family. I was shaped by the township. I was shaped by suburbia and the, 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 the intricacies of that experience. And then moving from a certain kind of culture, maybe I can call it black culture, township culture, then moving to suburban culture and noticing how it, there's quite a lot of differences in those spaces. You know, in the township, you greet someone you encounter on the road. In the suburbs, you just you look down and you walk past each other. So I'm witnessing myself becoming dehumanized in some ways as I'm growing up. Uh, and I think that's where being exiled from yourself kind of starts. And, 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 it, and it feels in retrospect that that's kind of the journey that has led me here is this kind of being exiled from myself, exiled from love, from community, from family from um, prisons, um, from care and compassion. And then being, I then eventually became sick because of those systems, because now we're living, I'm living in a space, in a culture and communities that, you know, we don't look each other, at each other in the eye. We don't necessarily care about each other in the ways that my formative years um, taught me to care for others. Um, I'm noticing that 
now these spaces that I that I live in, these environments where there's more access to television and you know these programs on on TV, MTV, and things. Uh, I'm I'm now being aware of, you know, as a child, this this sexualization that occurs and these these, these patterns of our conditioning that changes us. So I'm just trying to lay out the bits that the bits and the patterns that conditioned me out of my true nature, nature, my authentic self. And that kind of then caused this disease within myself of self-rejection, of self-loathing, of confusion. But because I don't have the words to identify what is happening and my parents as well are foreign to these things that we are being exposed towards, I became um, yeah, quite a, a quiet child. Um, Quiet in the sense that I didn't express my emotions. My interior world was my own, including to my direct family. Um, yeah, I went to school and I thrived at school, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't encouraged to do what I was good at at school. I needed, which was art and drama and acting and those kinds of things. My twin sister was significantly different to me, so... Um, yeah, it made sense for me to go to, to be directed towards what would what adults do when they grow up. So that is for a character like me, maybe marketing or um, advertising, or, you know. So I tried to find something that would appease my parents. And I studied media studies and tried to find my way in the system and um, in corporate, in the corporate world. And I worked in mostly communications and words, worked as a travel journalist as well. And up until the point where I became depressed, I became sick, I became, I retreated from the world, from people. And I was no longer able to connect with the world as it was, with, you know, the kind of avatars that people take on and the disconnection that, um, we eventually experience as humans when we aren't our authentic selves. So that is when I then, I had quite an awakening. I almost passed, died um, after having been sick for a long time with migraine headaches, uh, with what then was later discovered to be depression. And in short, after that, I ended up in a mental health facility. And it was then, when I was in hospital for two weeks, that I had um, made the decision with the support of, you know, these special people that show up at critical times in our lives, lives, um, plant medicine, and yeah, just synchronicity and the universe conspiring. I then journeyed on a journey to healing myself after having spent a lot of money trying to heal and trying to figure out what this wrong with me with the headaches what why I was sick going to neurologists and having head scans and and then I went to the eastern cape which is a rural homeland to go and live with the Sangoma shaman to go and yeah negotiate for my life to call my spirit back and essentially I lived the ways of my ancestors and I healed by the way of traditional drum and yeah the ways of old to to heal it was a three-part journey it was quite a long journey but yeah 
Beautiful. That's such a journey because it's, it's, yeah, you're, you live through history, you know, first of all, with, with growing up and in, in the end of apartheid and Nelson Mandela, that era. Um, yeah, it's, it's, and you, you touched into a lot of topics. I'm not sure where, where to go next specifically. Maybe we'll start from the end. So, uh, cause I'm very, very curious about, uh, this connection with shamanism and your journey to the Eastern part of the country and to, to, yeah. How, how was that experience and what was that like? It was, it was, yeah. I like, I, I like that you're starting it because the first experience I had, um, you know, there's a, there's this book by Franz Fanon where he talks about black skin, white masks. What I realized when I got to the Eastern Cape, I was um, at the edge of Lusutu, uh, a place uh, called uh, Zolo. And as soon as I got there, I noticed that for the first time since I left Soweto, I was no longer wearing a mask because I was in a village that was full of people who looked like me. I no longer had to interface myself and the mask and, and, and the avatars that I had created. I was now in this void that was just offering me a womb-like space to... <sighs> You know, I didn't even know that I wasn't breathing for all of these years. And so that was a life-changing experience as a city girl, as someone who, you know, you wake up and you hear, uh, you can hear cars, depending on where I lived at the time, but you can hear the cars, you can hear the people next door, you can hear traffic, you can hear the hooters from the taxis, minibus taxis. And to, to now arrive at a place where you can hear the silence and you can see the darkness. So nighttime is night time. It's not pierced by, you know, these lights, security lights. And um, you can see the stars because pollution is not thick on, 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 in, on the air. And I was also barefoot and living, sleeping on the floor. And I, I had a specific uniform that I had to wear, uh, which in some ways was was embarrassing <laughs> because it was just some of the things that I had to wear, embarrassing to my old self. But I soon got comfortable in 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 who I had to be then, um, for me to be able to twasa. Oh, twasa means to blossom. And so, yeah, that that the invitation was for me to just and blossom and yeah being barefoot and then you know sometimes we go out into the city to go get things and people are staring it's it was really a yeah it's 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 an it's your you're being asked to face your ego because so what that i'm barefoot so what that other people are staring at me and really needing to look within myself and understand what it is I'm being called to do, how huge this thing is of having to call your spirit back, right? Of having to say, yo, I tried everything to get better. I don't know what is wrong with me, but I am willing to surrender to this scary, scariness, right? So we're walking in mountains in the darkness, barefoot, and I'm just, I'm in a completely different kind of reality. But the trusting in itself, the surrender is an initiation. Everything is an initiation. Cooking by the fire, 
and sleeping on the floor, uh, you know, trance dancing in the mornings to connect with the drum so that you're, you know, you're tapping into a different space or different aspects of who you are, but also the different aspects of, 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 of life, of spirit that we can't always um, touch if we're distracted, you know, if we're sick. Um, yeah, so it was, it was life-changing. I can go on about that, you know, but even just it was, it was a return to my body as well. So I'm having to kneel when I speak to, to people, um, whether it's a child or an adult. But because I'm in this place as a twice, I need to learn how to kneel with my heart. So I'm literally kneeling um, when I speak to people, when I enter this, the sacred shrine, I kneel before I come in. So I'm also breaking the body to some degree, you know, walking barefoot, having to make a fire at 5 a.m. in the morning in June. And it's it's cold outside. It's minus two degrees sometimes, and so you know, your my fingers, um, my hands are, uh, are frozen. My my feet are frozen. Are frozen, and then when I make the fire to make uh, to boil water so I can purge and prepare the medicine, um, my hands and my feet are then having to thaw again. And so it's this kind of um, you know matter and mind meeting, and you you. you learning the science of your own body right in front of your eyes, right inside of your body. So, yeah, I'll stop there. It, it was a very profound experience. The, and this is the, the mm-hmm. content. So that you, you sent me the essay, mm-hmm. uh, My Feet Ached yeah. for Liberation. This is sort of that journey. Reconnection, let's say. So you, you were basically on a journey of reconnection with a, a deeper form of ancestry that you felt cut off from as you said, wearing white masks in the city of yeah, Johannesburg yeah. and in the suburbs? I mean, my ancestors, but also very much my own self. I I realized that, and self, not in the self, not in the, but I mean, so many of us are, are um, what's this word? We're not inside our bodies. And I realized that I hadn't been, I hadn't been present emotionally, Mentally, I was always, you know, this anxiety. I was, I was a very anxious person, overthinking. You know, the masks, the white masks. Um, the way that we lived, you know, we, we wear rubber shoes. Uh, we don't, we don't spend time outside in 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 nature. So, I needed to come back into my body. I needed to heal my emotional, spiritual, mental physical bodies to even begin to contact the messages that my ancestors had. And for a long time, I didn't understand that that was, I, I struggled a bit to, to, to um, understand my relationship with my ancestors, with the great spirit, because I wasn't online. It was also my reunion with God. I came to that realization while there that I'd lost my connection to the divine, to the most high, which was part of why I'd been in so much pain.
before we pressed record, you mm-hmm. you did this beautiful ceremony with the singing bowl. Reminds me of Thich Nhat Hanh, the um, the Zen Buddhist monk. He has a a quote about mm-hmm. uh, when we mm-hmm. ring the bell, when we ring a meditation bell, it's an invitation for the cells in our body and for the the deep yeah the deepness of our body to relax completely. And we do it not just for ourselves, but for our ancestors who are alive in our bodies because they might not have had that chance to relax and to let go and let the vibration yeah. of the bell. That's, that's um, exactly the it. And it's so profound. And it goes even down to the nervous system. The more you hear, the more you realize that, you know, the sigh of relief is echoing back, you know, generations in so many facets of, 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 the slight experience and yeah that's what it is and I think that's why then you, you have to consume and spend time with the drug because it, it, it's, it, it's calling on our ancestors those realms you know the, the harmonics of the earth to co-create to conspire with you in this healing and yeah this generation yeah, it all started with the Big Bang, you know, the, the current creation myth of that first beat. And, you know, all through throughout culture that the drama is that 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 pulse of life has been so central to our way of life. And I think it's it's an interesting when you're talking about growing up in Johannesburg, because I see reflections of that, of course, in the US where I'm from, where the African diaspora has has um I think consciously but also subconsciously place so many people from Africa in the cities you know so where they're really cut off from nature and we have this phrase in um, in cities and especially on the east coast of food deserts I don't know if you have you ever heard of this phrase yeah it's where yeah it's where it's so there's no source of fresh food you know everything is pra- packaged plast- in plastic you know, lots of preservatives. And I, I've worked in schools in the inner city in Philadelphia and I see the kids, they, they, you know, process potato chips and sugar juice every day. That's their nutrition for breakfast, you know, and it's just like, it's so divorced from the old ways of life and through, through the, the, the ways of knowing that I think you, you hopefully experienced, um, in this journey, um, in the East of your country, as you're talking about. Yeah, and but you know what was what was quite heartbreaking about that experience is that that has entered the rural parts of our countries as well. So, you know, this, the townships are much like the ghettos um, in in the United States, where there is a bottle store at on every block, and the most affordable foods are the ones that aren't healthy for you. Something the same kind of model has been placed in the rural parts of the country, you know, and um, of course, you know, because there's still space and the landscape and the air, the fresh air, it's not as bad. But when you go to the towns and you go and go to the shops, you know, there's there's this broken classes everywhere. There's there is a problem with with alcoholism there as well. So the lifestyles that are permeating us through the televisions are, you know, it's 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 everywhere. But of course, yeah, access to nature, you have a better, you have choice. Let's put it. A phrase that you use that I'd like to hear more about is mm-hmm. the authentic self. 
that you discovered mm-hmm. in this journey? If, if you're comfortable mm-hmm. sharing more about that. And, and when you say the, your question, I just want to, like what I mean by the authentic self or, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> you know, I mentioned I'm a twin. I've already in our conversations, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm African. I'm in South Africa, so I'm South African. Then I mentioned that I'm a black woman. I'm a twin. I'm all of these things. And even, and I'm a daughter, and even how that plays out within the family, right? We assume a character within the family space. Um, there's, you know, the, the, the concept of self-fulfilling prophecy. There are ways in which individuals in our lives see, see us and we kind of play into that. Um, and on, along my journey, I then had to strip away some of those things, as hard as it might be, you know. There are expectations that society places on us and in some ways that we place on ourselves, you know, about how you're supposed to behave, who you're supposed to be. And along the journey where I was barefoot and initially embarrassed of the, the, the the current path I was on, I realized that none of those things I carried all those time or for all those years um, mattered in this moment. I didn't need to carry them. And it was frightening because then I am not anything or anyone. And that's frightening for us. That's what's frightening for me. I realized that because of some of the traumas I experienced in my life, because of the the continuum, this continuous theme of being exiled, 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 exiled from self. And you you then each in each space you find yourself in, you you create a character around yourself to survive and to accommodate the space you're in now, you know. Okay, how do I how do I survive this? How you know, like a lot of us um, read our parents and we know that if I behave like mm-hmm. them, I might upset my, my mother. Um, and so we start to behave in ways that will make her happy. You know, we do that in so many spaces. And I realized that I'm now in the space, like I say, this womb that's inviting me to blossom and to heal. Um, I mean, it was a process. I'm still on it. But I realized that I needed to reconnect with my authentic self you know, the self, the self that I contacted when I was Minkita, Minkita, which is when I was trans dancing, that was nothing, but it was everything. And it was immense, you know, and it was, it was ancient, but it was also now. And um, that is when I realized that even some of the, so obviously I was, born in, in this country that had this really heavy history and I had these heavy perceptions as well about um, my race, white people, uh, Afrikaans people, and and I needed to face my judgments. But it was amazing because I'm doing it apart from the masks. I'm not, I'm not, I'm doing it within a place that's that I feel safe within. So yeah, for the the authentic self is a place that is that I discovered was beyond the anxieties that I had about 
um, who I was, who I wasn't, what I had, what I didn't have. And it was a place that didn't need labels. And I realized that the anxiety came from these labels that I thought that I had to carry. Um, yeah, so yeah, authentic, authenticity also I realized was a, a sort of righteousness in the sense, not really religiosity, but a, 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 a righteousness that said, you're allowed to use your voice, you're allowed to be you, you're allowed to remember, um, you know, like there's a righteousness in, in nature, you know, when you look at how um, the sun makes, makes love, okay, photosynthesizes the plants, or how the bees and the flowers interact. There, there's, there is a holiness and a purity in that. And that is what I was beginning to understand about myself. Like, like there was nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with the color of my skin. There's nothing wrong if right now I don't have a penny to my name because I'm in this process. That, that is so important, so significant. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I mean by authentic self, by our fundamental nature, the place that's beyond all of those things. You've mentioned individual and collective trauma and your people in South Africa have been through a tremendous ordeal through colonialism and apartheid. And as someone who lived through that Mm -hmm. era, uh, the global community now we're seeing taking a leading role in condemning what's happening in Gaza and declaring what Israel's doing Mm -hmm. as a genocide. So I'm just curious, how was that news received Mm -hmm. in your communities Mm -hmm. there in South Uh, Africa? It was was quite an emotional day when we received the news from the ICJ and the judgment and the recommendations. It feels significant. It's it's bone level deep for us. I was I was talking to my family, some of my family and friends about it and it did it it, it felt like there was some sort of retribution for our ancestors as well and that were very much behind that because we know about it so well. And in a world where so many atrocities consistently over time have been kind of ignored and silenced and it's a massive turning point in history. Even if it's just conscientizing us to the ways in which the world really works um, and how all of that trickles down into yeah the most the most mundane parts of our lives that we don't even think about in some ways gaza palestine israel is freeing us because i mean only the enough is enough and you know i just have to think you've mentioned sudan i just have to think of the congo and in our context I think America can also relate. Many, many cities, big, big cities can relate. But in, in, in South Africa, we have a lot of foreign nationals from all over the continent because of what has been created. And to sit with someone who has been exiled from home, you know, you speak to someone from the DRC who... You know, the pain is etched on their faces because of what has happened, because of the resources in this country, but we're still called the poorest country 
the poorest continent in the world, but you know, empires in Europe have been built on the backs of what the great spirit, what God put in 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 in, in our land is. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot, and so when you look at what is happening with the wars um, and the the atrocities, the big ones and the small ones, the smaller ones, it's it's yeah. I think it's encouraging in the ways in the in in the sense that you can tell that there's a change happening. You can tell that we're waking up. You can tell that a more a lot more of us are willing to say, okay, let me look at what this person might um what might what what message they might have whereas before you thought that if i know if i have certain beliefs and ideologies and that's it but now i think there's even more curiosity about what someone else thinks or what others believe because we know that we don't know you know um the collective trauma war some people might even call what we all experienced um in 2020, you know, it was like the first time that we all, as a globe, collectively experienced something that, you know, affected us deeply. And yes, yeah, I don't know, yeah, the pandemic. And I think that was kind of, you know, the turning point that has led to where we are now. And and and, and that's what I mean when I say, you know, this moment is 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 freeing us is because even that the context of you know the pandemic and the details of all of that are pointing towards the same issue are pointing towards the same tyranny For, and yeah uh, on so, the, the the off chance that someone in Gaza might be listening to this recording in, at some point do you have any advice or as uh, someone who's lived through that collective trauma of apartheid and that that's um, oppression uh, from a governmental level on on you because of your race and your class. Do you have any advice for them listening to that now on how to get through that? <sighs> it's um. It's it's a hard one to to look at and to talk about because I know as a South African and looking at how my own country is deteriorating and how we are still living, um, we're still kind of in the aftermath of the nightmare of what war does, what colonization can do. And I, I didn't live through apartheid in the ways that my, my parents did, my grandparents did, my great-grandparents did, by grace. So I can't even imagine what it must be like to live there at this time. But I know for sure that in my darkest times, I knew that I was held by a spirit bigger than myself. Whether you call the call the great spirit Allah or you call the spirit God or the most high, 
Ocha. There is you are held. You are held, and many things might not make sense right now, but you remain held. And as a South African, I want to tell you that you are loved, that we see you, that we hear you, that we pray for you, um, that we sing for you, that we bless you, um, that we welcome you, that we accept you, that we lift you up, and that we carry you in our spirits and carry you in our hearts. We bless the wombs of your grandmothers, the wombs of the mothers who have lost children. We bless your fathers who are trying to protect their families and their children. And they, they, they're failing, not because they can't, but because they're up against madness, you know, such darkness. Knowing that that is what a, the truth, a duty of a father is, you know. I think that's why what I would say is that you have friends, you have family that are fighting for you. You know, our lawyers went and our country stood behind them saying, you know, this stops now. So know that, hold on to that, that you have family down south. Um, yeah, that loves you and there's no greater protection than love. Freedom in your lifetime might feel like an impossible task. You may not be able to imagine that retribution and freedom and peace will come. We could never have imagined the promised land. We could have never imagined that we would one day be free as South Africans. Our grandmothers never ceased praying. Don't cease praying or hoping. Freedom will come, promised land will come. A change is on its way. about I, I watched this beautiful TED talk you did about um, not dying with our music inside mm -hmm. of us um, that was from a few years ago like five years ago yeah, or so yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. is that still a phrase that resonates with oh, you I, I, I return to that phrase all the time <laughs> don't die with your music still inside so, of you yeah I, I, I refer to myself as a soul, soul song sage you know a sage that um, mm -hmm. creates a container for people to remember what songs are with them, what songs they carry, because that's what we've come here to do. We were talking about the dolphins early on and the lion. There's the bee, busy being. Um, and we are the only ones that aren't in tune with the song that we're meant to sing, which is why we're out of disharmony, not harmonizing with each other. So it still resonates still resonates and I am still an advocate for that and that is largely the work that I do um, is is to facilitate that remembrance or 
in that in that harmony choir. Um, and yeah, it was interesting because that talk within itself was it, it happened very suddenly within a few days, and it forced my song back out of me after I had struggled for a long time to express myself, uh, to be my true self mm -hmm. because of some of the traumas I had had and things that had happened over the years, you know, like the exile, being exiled for myself, like I mentioned, I wasn't unable to express myself. I would stutter sometimes and um, when I spoke, I would speak and then kind of speaking to my mouth because I didn't think anyone wanted to hear me. And but when this happened, uh, happened so suddenly, it was not long after I was on this journey that I'd graduated out of um, initiation. And yeah, I graduated by this moment that allowed me to kind of clear my throat and use my voice. And you, you hear it in the beginning of that talk that I'm kind of still, you know, battling between the old self and this my spirit, my song, my soul. Um, and yeah, that's it. And I like that because it, it, it exemplifies that we can kind of call our spirits back and bring our, our, our voices back home. And now let's listen to an excerpt from that TED Talk from 2018. It is when you are called to take the inward journey into yourself, into those quiet, secret places where we might begin to love ourselves and see ourselves and appreciate ourselves and value ourselves and stand tall in who we are. We all have the calling. I've always known about my intuitive gifts all of my life, but I didn't know what to do with them. I didn't know that I had to do anything with them and I had no clue that not doing anything with them would make me sick. In today's society, African spirituality and traditional medicine has become taboo. It's been stigmatized and demonized and we've put ourselves away, parts of ourselves, parts of the gifts that give us life. It took me as long as it did to finally surrender to my call because no one around me, myself, my parents, my family, and my community could recognize what was happening to me. I suffered, so they suffered, and no one could help. I spent two weeks in a mental health facility where I met beautiful, sensitive, and gifted souls who struggle to fit in the boxes, and the structures and the pressures that society imposes on us. It was in hospital that I finally surrendered to what I knew I had to do. I was discharged and I was led to healers and began intensive plant work. That gave me the courage, the clarity, and the confidence to resign from my job to sell my car, to sell my clothes, to sell my possessions, and to relinquish any ideas and assumptions that I had about who I had been at the, till that point. 
because who we are is so defined by what's outside of us, by our family structures, by society, and by, by what we see in mainstream media. But how do we really know what's inside until we get there? I left for the Eastern Cape to be initiated as a traditional healer. I left to go in Twasa. And Twasa means to blossom in his Twasa. Silence and blossoming go hand in hand. I lived with my teacher and lived the ways of my ancestors as part of the medicine. My journey was threefold and I had multiple teachers. It was a year and a half of initiation and I healed at the grace of plant medicine, at the beat of the drum and traditional trance dancing. Slowly my songs began to come back to me. I had a union with my own divinity and witnessed what I was capable of becoming. that quiet place inside. That's where all the songs come from. That's where the, all the poetry comes from. That's where all the sound comes from. That's where all the painting comes from. That's where the trust of yourself comes from, the imagination and the creativity. Sometimes something has to die first before something else can be born. And I've learned and I continue to learn that there's nothing more liberating, nothing more freeing, and nothing more empowering than surrendering to the calls of your own heart. We've come for ourselves. We deserve ourselves. When we don't answer the messages and the intuitions that the universe and all that is, the invisible, gives us, we get sick. That is why I got sick. Disease is dis-ease in the body. Are we meant to feel like we're suffocating? Are we meant to feel lost and confused and a sense of self-loathing? Are we meant to reject ourselves like we do? Are we meant to be in so much despair and so much pain? I don't think so. I believe that we're meant to be ourselves. I believe that we're meant to be free. I believe that we're meant to dance our dance and sing our song. I believe that we're meant to choose ourselves. When you have the courage to surrender to the calls of your own heart and you have the audacity to dance your dance and listen to the intuitions that the universe gives us periodically. Your heart, your soul and the universe rise up to support and to hold you and to manifest anything that you desire. 
surrendering takes you by the hand and leads you to your songs. Every moment is the perfect moment for you to be who you are. Don't die with your song still inside you. Don't die with your song still inside you. My body is the memory that moves inside my flesh. My emotions and antithesis touching timelessness. The body moves and bends itself, reaching for prophetic homes in service of the healing, the incumbent sacrifice. A flame lynching through distortions, hearts oiled with crude. A serpent reaches out inside the sweetness at my center. It tosses, it moans. I fall into her scales. Don't die with your song still inside you. Kamako, Ashe, Namaste, Inshallah, Bayadanki. Yeah, there's something very rich about that. The, the idea of this this ancient song that's inside of us. Yeah finding finding the voice you know and and um the uh the sort of the catholic <laughs> uh saint saint francis of assisi has uh, this prayer make make me an instrument of your peace mm -hmm. you know and that 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 seems uh resonant mm -hmm. somehow with with what you what you're speaking about to allow that mm -hmm. song to come through mm -hmm. you to, to realize maybe the song's not even in us but it's just kind of out there and it and it kind of comes through us and it's just we become that instrument of yeah, and, and we are this song. We are because you know we're talking about the drum. First uh, drum that we hear is 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 the, the the beating of our mother's hearts. You know, whilst we're in the womb, boom, 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 that's who we are. And then the first time we come up, and when we hear that, you know, the harmony of the earth, we cry, we sing. That is our first inclination is to sing. And then somehow, when we yes. stop singing. But there is there is power in voice. There's power in song. There's power in the, the frequency that reverberates through our body, which is water, right? Through our ocean, is there to heal us, to remind us, and to transform us. So the song, you know, so the song as an analogy for your purpose or your calling. But the song, the actual voice of your voice, is also medicine. Also, the song that needs to be unshackled. Yeah. 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 Have you, do you, do you know Jonathan Goldman? He's like a, um, he created, yeah. And he has this book, the humming effect. I haven't read the book. Have you heard? Tell me. Yeah. It's, uh, it's basically this idea that our, our own voices are our medicine. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's a resonance in the way our skulls are constructed and the length of our throat and the, the size of our chest 
that there's a frequency that we can find with our humming. So it might be a low pitch or a more higher pitch. And it's all connected to, you know, nada yoga, the idea of sound, sound as a, as a healing force in yoga that's from India. Um, yeah, just this idea that we can, we can soothe ourselves through humming, through, through finding that inner vibration that, that resonates our body. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even, um, our sexual organs, well, a woman specifically, all of like a baby's, when a baby's still a fetus, the, the sexual organ, organs in the, the throat look very similar. And in some cultures, when a woman is in labor and she's kind of struggling, she's asked to sing because of the connection between, you know, I would say the root chakra. So it's, it's very integral. And even you mentioned soothing just now. They, the most cultures have lullabies because songs soothe us. So that's the first kind of language of our, our souls and our spirits and our hearts to recognize and understand.
We're listening to Ancient Dreams, the Axis Zulu Natural Mix by Vui Kebeka. So, um, any kind of projects coming up or, uh, you know, courses or books, anything you'd like to talk mm-hmm. about that's coming up for you? So in terms of my art, that that is one thing that I ca- I've kind of been stubborn about uh, over the last yeah. um, couple of years because whilst I was in initiation school um, and a specific part of my journey, the last seven months of my journey um, were quite hard. It was quite a traumatizing space that I was in. Um, in, in uh, I was in three different spaces. And the last space I speak about initially, uh, specifically was um, yeah, an initiation school. And through that pain, I discovered that I am a painter, that I'm an artist. I've discovered my art um, through visions, but there's a specific pigment, there's a specific mud, okra mud, double bowl, um, that you see some oh, okra, you said? Yes, that you see some tribes 
put on their hair or on their skin the red kind of pigment. I began to paint and I began to um, communicate with the earth through the pigment. So kind of, kind of, um, yeah, I would say trying to heal and hear the land in which I am at the time through painting with the soil, with the, um, yeah, with her, with her sand or dirt, as Americans say. Um, and, and so, but because of the way that we've been conditioned, I was kind of focused on, no, I can't, I can't focus on that now. I need to make, I need to, I need to, um, you know, there's an emphasis on money. I need to make money. I need to survive, mm-hmm. right? So that was kind of what I was focusing on. Although I did have moments where I um, had d- did uh, performance art um, and participated in some ex- exhibitions, but I didn't take art, my art, as seriously as. I now understand is how serious I now understand it to be. Um, creation, the energy of creation, and I think for all humans, whatever whatever our art is, and I like the art, you know, art is present in the word heart, but whatever it is, whether mm. it's gardening or whether it's some people are more left-brained, or however it is we create, but the energy of creation is supposed to circulate through us, which is why our imaginations are our first friends as children in this world. And so the point at which I'm at now is, um, yeah, trying to balance the work that I do more with my art. Um, But also I I, I mentioned something to you about becoming dust, you know, becoming like the dust. And this is kind of the season that I'm in now. And I think a lot of humans are being invited to occupy kind of touched on it during the pandemic because we were in lockdown, we were kind of forced to, but I think a lot of us moved out of that space prematurely. But if we are saying that paradigm, this old paradigm is falling apart and Mm -hmm. we're calling in a new dawn, then we're having to put down some of the ideologies and the tools and the ways in which we've done things. And I found that for myself, the last year specifically was a struggle. And it was what I noticed and realized in some of the guidance that came through was that I'm insisting on doing things in an old way, but we're being invited to do, mm-hmm. see, do things in a new way because these systems won't survive in the new. Right. And so I'm in a space where I'm also really trying to listen to to live outside of the labels, you know. Yes, I I am a healer or a speaker or a storyteller and these things, but what does that really mean? You know, what am I being really called towards in this, this, this next chapter that humanity is stepping inside of? And how can I be true to it without mm. dragging things that are meant to be there along with me? Part of that, uh, you know, because we're moving from this yang energy, from this masculine space, is um, my focus this year is more on, uh, you know, I work within the realm of sexual trauma mostly, um, but I, I this year is more focused on men, 
so individuals who have more testosterone. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of women have been in the in the thick of of healing over the last couple of years, and we're kind of being called to space now for the masculine collective. And this is going to be particularly demanding here for you for men um, in terms of mm. the healing needed, the transformation, the remembering, the, all of those things. So um, I have some retreats um, for men in, out, out okay. in the desert um, that I am facilitating and holding space with um, camping and kind of just communing with nature. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that is part of it. And then like the art where will those where will those be the um the men's retreat in the Karoo. I don't know if you know where the Karoo is, but it's a it's a it's a region in the country that's kind of desert like. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, and then some will be in Johannesburg in collaboration with a group that specifically works on, uh, yeah, supporting men to heal, and the the. Mm-hmm. And the reason why, so I, I did this a few years ago, but I got into some trouble with some healers and some 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 female healers felt that I was kind of betraying um, mm. betraying them <laughs> for, men, for right. doing healing circles for men. And one right. of the ladies that I had a conversation with, um, I, I asked her, you know, she was a mother, she's a mother, and she's a mother to boys. And it was during the time where the very toxic phrase, men are trash, was, was trending. And I asked her, yeah, but like, how are we creating, what kind of world are we creating for our boys if we're allowing this kind of narrative to just be normalized and if we're not creating spaces for which, you know, men can heal. And I was still young in my in my uh, work, so I, I was kind of bullied out of that. I let myself be bullied out of that. So, um, but what I now understand very clearly is like with anyone who comes into this world, we have to move into through a womb to come into the space. And mm-hmm. the the healer inside the the, the healer inside the samoma inside the shaman is a woman. And mm-hmm. for true transformation to happen, men can help themselves only so far, but the presence of the womb brings in something completely different. Um yeah. And this is this is this is the transition we're inside of, right? This is where we're moving up towards when we say when we talk about feminine energy or divine feminine or um the energy of the grandmothers is yeah, to to mm-hmm. anchor in that energy and and to share it with those that need it, that are that are yeah. willing and open to. Yeah. So that is Nice. My focus this year is becoming dust, the silence to listen, but to truly to learn how to listen again, um, to hold space mm-hmm. for sacred masculine, and to strengthen that by focusing on the art, which is my creative side, right? So this is the, the right brain, this is the feminine. So that is, um, yeah. and I'm saying this because I think all of us need to, need to remember how to hold those sides of us in ways that support us. Beautiful. Well, as as a man, I love that framing of the sacred masculine. Yeah. (laughs) 
Because I've, you know, as you said, the, the 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 phrase "men are trash" or whether it's toxic masculinity, and I'm a bit older, so I feel like I'm able to kind of see that in context. But I do worry about like young boys who are growing up with that message of toxic masculinity that their their actual essence is toxic. Yeah. You know, it seems uh, it seems harmful. Yeah, many, yeah. You know, it, it's very harmful, you know. and I think you do see the product of that in the world and how men have been disarmed. You know, there's there's a specific Mm -hmm. role that men play within homes, within communities, within society that kind of keep certain things out. But if men believe themselves to be toxic, then there's a a fear or there's anxiety, there's other things that develop them, that develop and kind of force them out of their nature. And Mm -hmm. which is why some of the things that have happened in the world have been allowed to because masculinity you know you know when we think about a jedi master who knows how to be zen and silent but knows how to wield his sword that is a man you know a man is a protector man is a lion and there's nothing toxic about that Mm -hmm. there are toxic human beings there are toxic women and there are toxic men um Mm -hmm. and we have to we it's important that we support men and ourselves and each other and women to re-educate us back into the roles that we play, the importance of us being like the authenticity, right? Feminine woman, me, woman being in their natural essence and not emulating men and vice versa because softness has left a lot of homes, has left, left a lot of society because we're overcompensating and not in our natural Sent, I put it that way, as as a woman, and yeah, so it's it's very it's very detrimental. And um, one thing I know for sure, I mean, studies have even showed that is that the presence of a man in a home and in society is so so important. You know, mm-hmm. children who don't have a man in the house are likely more likely to be imprisoned, to be broke or poor. Um, to be a drug addict, there's so many things, uh, but we're not aware of this. We don't, we don't understand each other's value, and so that's kind of the space that I'm occupying this year. Thank you so much. That was a lovely way to close. So thank you for being on the podcast and for spending time with us today. Thank you for spending time with me and much love and peace to all of you listeners and to you and your family. And now to close us out is another sonic piece from Voy Quebec called Moon Chant. Thank you for listening today.